In a moment, we're going to pick up our study at Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 15. We've been two sessions in this core section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians dealing with Christian lifestyle, how Christians need to be different than the unsaved peoples of this world, because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are trying to live for Christ, not for ourselves any longer. And so we had all sorts of things uh, that Paul wanted to use as an illustration of how Christians need to be different in our repented lifestyle. And now he's going to kind of wrap up that larger section and start zeroing in on the lifestyle of specific types within the church family itself. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Remember, walk is a way of describing lifestyle. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now that's very proverbial. Remember the book of Proverbs has as its core thought, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. So having a proper respect for God is what gives us wisdom. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now we know all of us, especially those of us that are getting older, we know we've only got so much time to use every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year for our life. And so we have to use it wisely, especially when you look around and realize there's so many opportunities to do evil. All of these temptations, all of these encouragements to go back into the unsaved, fallen lifestyle. So Paul says, let's make the most of our Christian lifestyle in the time we have. Therefore, do not be foolish. Remember, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There's nobody I have to answer to. I'm my own boss, right? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, the will of the Lord is not that hard to sort out because God makes it clear. He says, be holy like I'm holy. That is, be good like I'm good. Be loving like I'm loving. Be merciful like I'm merciful. Be compassionate and kind. And all of those other things we think of as God, he expects us to be like him. We're supposed to be like our father. Uh, and Paul then goes into one of the big distinguishing characteristics between the, um, the pagan peoples of his day and the believing peoples of his day. And it's very similar in our own situation. And that is, what do you do uh, in order to make yourself feel better uh, given that it is a, 
a tough day, a tough week, a tough time. Paul says in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Uh, Some people react to the tough times, the tough situations, by taking mind-altering substances like alcoholic beverages, and they take them to the excess until they forget what's been going on. But in doing that, they lose control. They lose the ability to maintain a proper way of life. And Paul says, this is debauchery. Uh, Debauchery is a fancy way of talking about this just scatters things around. It doesn't have any rhyme or reason anymore. It's just scattershot. And that's not the way we should be trying to live our lives. Uh, And it's not just alcoholic beverages being taken to excess. You can think about all sorts of mind-altering drugs uh, that will cause a person to lose control, lose track of time, lose the ability to make good decisions. And so Paul says, don't do that. Don't engage in that sort of scattering behavior, undisciplined behavior. Remember, one of the fruits of the Spirit is to be self-controlled. So he says, instead of being debauched, instead of being scattered all over the place because of your your drunkenness or the fact that you were stoned out of your gourd, he says, instead of that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit come and live in you and guide you and organize you. And that is going to then contribute to our relationship to other believers. Remember, we're not lone wolves here. We are not an island unto ourselves. We are part of the body of Christ. Remember that earlier in the book of Ephesians that we are part of this one body made up of many different members, and Jesus is at the head. And so when we become Christians, we become part of a larger group. We become part of a family. And the only way to be healthy in that is to interact with the family. And so he says... Uh, If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you should be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I love the fact that one of the things we do when we get together for worship is we sing. We have music. Music comes from our core, from our emotional core. It, it lets us express how we're feeling deep down. And so we need to be able to sing and make music to God. And if you're not in a church where uh, musical worship is uh, an important part of the fellowship, I, I feel for you because it ought to be part of it. Uh, the differentiation in the terminology here Uh, Psalms has to do with musical accompaniment to all sorts of varieties of songs. Hymns 
goes more, I think, to the content of what is being sung. And that is singing about God, singing about how great he is and what he's done. Uh, The spiritual songs kind of goes along with that as well. It's focused on what God has done and how it's impacted us and other people. Uh, Church is twofold. When I'm talking about church, I'm talking about uh, gathering together the saints for what's quote called worship. Uh, We are addressing God with our praise, our adoration, our thanksgiving. Uh, We brag on him. We praise him and talk about who he is, what he's done, what he's like. Uh, We brag to the world and anybody else that's listening, this is our God, and he has done great things, and he is due praise. But some of the songs should also be telling others, trust God, hang in there. He's always come through for people before us. He will come through for us as well. He came through for me. And so some of the songs are part of that stirring one another or spurring one another to love and good deeds. It's encouragement to do the right thing for God and for each other. And so singing is not just simply directed to God. It's not just simply about God. Our worship songs, our praise songs, our singing time in church is also addressed to the saints, encouraging each other to hang in there and do the right thing. Uh, Verse number 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen the importance of thanksgiving in other passages by the Apostle Paul. If we ask God to do things, which we do in a prayer, most of our prayers, you have to admit, are asking God to do stuff. We ought to also come back and say thank you when we've seen him do things. And uh, one of the biggest things that we can be thanks, uh, giving thanks to God is what he's done through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again for our justification. Praise be to God for his indescribable gift, as Paul writes in the Corinthian letter. So we need to have our worship time, our singing time, our music time, and we need to always say thank you to God uh, for what he has done. Now, verse 21, uh, this is very important to understand the grammatical uh, construction here. Verse 21 lends itself as the core understanding for several of the categories that come next. And it uses a word that a lot of people don't like. They've been kind of, I don't know, taught or uh, maneuvered into thinking that this is a bad word. And that word is submission. So verse 21, Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So reverence, 
uh, is uh, actually the word for fear, and I already referenced uh, the uh, anchor verses for the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so it is the fear of the Lord, the reverence that we have for Jesus Christ, for what he has done, that should motivate us to submit. And we submit to one another. See, Christians are submitting to other Christians. And what is submission about? Let's talk about that. Submission is not a dirty word. It is a pragmatic word. It is a practical word. Uh, Literally, it means to uh, go under the rank structure, to find your place in the ranks. Uh, I have to speak here from my military background. Uh, In the military, rank structure is really important. And uh, it, it lends itself to how we organize for the mission, because the mission is everything in the military. And so when we are told, fall in, uh, as a command, we already know how to line up and find dress and cover and get organized to be in the ranks. So that is one of the ways to think about this. We already know where everybody fits into the framework of a uh, military um, formation. But more to the point... In the military, we have a rank structure that tells you who's in charge, who's responsible, who calls the shots in this this carrying out of the overall mission of the military. And so in any given circumstance, uh, when you've got a multitude— even just two, actually, uh, military members in the same room, in a matter of seconds, they can decide who is the ranking member. Uh, It's going to be like, where do they fit in the rank structure? You know, are they enlisted or officer? Where are they at uh, in that rank structure? Uh, If they have the exact same rank, well, how long have they been in that rank? Because that'll tell them whether or not uh, uh, who's in charge between the two of them. Or even if they've been in uh, the military exactly the same amount of time in their rank, the exact amount of time, it's going to be who's the oldest. That will determine which of the two has to call the shots, even in a small group of two. And so submission is all about figuring out how to push the mission forward and who it is that will be responsible for making calls when the individuals involved may disagree on how to carry out the mission. Okay, so I hope that that helps you understand. The first example of submission that we run across in this passage is in verse 22 where it says, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word submission is not actually in verse 22. The word submission is in verse 21, where it says, 
all of us Christians are submitting to all other Christians out of reverence for the ultimate authority, which is Jesus Christ. So all of us yield to Jesus Christ, which means we yield to each other in order to push the mission of Jesus Christ forward. Uh, Again, I, I wanted to use the word yield in this context because it is something that everybody understands is necessary. When you come to a four-way stop, uh, if you arrive at the exact same time, you know that the person on the right has the right-of-way, correct? And so the person on the left has to yield or submit to that person on the right. And why are they doing that? Because that's for the benefit of everyone involved. It moves the mission of traffic forward. And so everybody needs to do what is best for everybody together. And so that is why in verse 22, it says, Wives, you need to do that with your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, how did the rank structure of the family come to that point? All you have to do is go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapters 1 and 2. The man and woman are made in the image and likeness of God, so they are equal in every respect. They are distinct and different from each other, but they are in the same standing with God. They then have sin come into the world, and God puts in place a rank structure between the partners because they were partners before this. They are still partners after it, but now they have to have a rank structure because of the chaos that entered the world with sin. And so basically God said that the wife needs to be the junior partner of the two. The husband needs to take the lead for the two. Now, in most cases, a good husband and wife team should be in agreement with what they do next, with how they move forward in their life. But every once in a while, they might come to different conclusions as to what should be done next. And in that case, the scripture has always said the wife needs to submit to the husband's choice. Now, does the husband have to choose his thinking? No. But it is understood if he chooses his own thinking and it blows up, that's his fault. He will give an account to God for messing it up in choosing that. Uh, But if, for example, he decides to go with his wife's suggestion and it blows up, he's still responsible. He is still accountable to God because he was the team leader because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. You remember that? When Eve and Adam both chose to sin, Eve was a little bit quicker on the draw, wasn't she? And she kind of contributed to Adam making that same choice. But when it came to God calling people to account, Adam tried to throw Eve under the bus. And from then on out, 
No husband has been allowed to do that. All husbands are accountable to God for all choices that their team makes. And so husbands, don't get it all in your head that you are the boss and everybody has to toe the line uh, underneath your iron boot because that's not the way God set it up. It's a team approach and you're the team leader. Wives, don't look at this as if you think this makes you less important than your husband because it most certainly does not. It just means that in the team approach, you pour all of yourself into that team partnership. And from time to time, if the team leader decides to go differently than what you think was the best choice, you go along with it and give it 100%. If it blows up in his face, you encourage him and you reevaluate with him and try to make sure that it doesn't happen again because you're in a partnership. As I often told uh, people when I'm doing marital counseling, it's you two against the world. And in reality, sometimes against the kids. And so be a partnership. Take a team approach. Uh, and so that's what this is all about. Oh, and, and since some of you are going to be thinking about this, if the team leader does uh, take a tact that is totally in violation of Jesus Christ and of Scripture and all of that, then the wife's responsibility, the junior partner in the partnership, is responsible for giving their attention and loyalty to the higher authority. Uh, and that works in the military too, by the way. Uh, all members of the military are responsible to refuse illegal orders from their uh, commanding officers. Uh, they appeal to a higher authority uh, that uh, contradicted the lower authority that was telling them to do something wrong. Uh, so with all that background now, which I hope you understand more appropriately uh, the sense of submission here. It's being part of the team. Okay, Wives, submit to your own husbands as if to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. That comes from earlier in the book of Ephesians, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the one that is leading the church. He makes the judgment calls for leading the church. And so the husband is in the same slot when it comes to the family. Now, I can guarantee you, husbands will make mistakes, whereas Jesus does not. Uh, and so wives, though, are supposed to be helping uh, their leader, their team leader, to make good choices. Verse 24, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to in everything to their husbands. So just like in the church, 
The church is looking to the team leadership of Jesus Christ, and we do that by looking at the Scripture. In the family, the wife is contributing to and participating in the team approach and supports the leadership of the husband uh, in uh, putting into effect that team approach, which then contributes to us understanding his attitude in the midst of this. I already told you, you husbands out there, don't be taking this as if you are the king and your wife is your subject. Don't be thinking of this as you're the boss and your wife is your employee. Uh, She is not your slave and you are not her master. You are the team leader in a great team that's working for Jesus Christ. And so verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the agape love we've talked about repeatedly. It is the commitment love. It is the love that God has for us. It is the love that Jesus has for us. It is a love that does what is best for the other person, regardless of what it might cost them. It will give up everything for that other person's benefit. And so, husbands, that is how you're supposed to love your wife, even to the point you would die for her. And if you take that attitude, you are not going to be treating her as if she were your slave in this relationship. You are the team leader trying to help your team succeed. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So Jesus did everything. He sacrificed himself to lead us into salvation. And uh, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any other thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So that was his goal, to make the church special. And husbands, that should be your goal towards your wife. Make her special. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. That is a normalization statement. All of us consider our needs very important. And so we should love and consider our wives as very important and try to do what is best for them because we are members of his body. So this is all about making families successful because Jesus is the head of that family.